At InDigital, we know the public safety professionals hold themselves to a high standard. In fact, standard doesn't do it justice. In over 25 years working alongside you, carrying millions of calls over our IP networks, your dedication has inspired us. That's why our ESI net goes beyond industry standards, not only I3 compliant, but designed to adapt to future development for a network you can count on when it matters most. Learn more at indigital.net. It is a new day for 911 professionals. They have gone from the most important person you will never see to the most vital piece of public safety. Truth be told, they always have been. The curtain has been pulled back and they are sharing their stories. Welcome to Imagine Listening. Your worst day is our everyday by Ricardo Martinez II and narrated by myself, Ricardo Martinez II and distributed by Beacon Audio Books. Copyright 2023. That's right, everyone. Finally, I can let everyone know the rumors are true. Imagine listening. Your worst days are every day is now available as an audiobook on Audible. And it's a long time coming. Very excited. Not a lot of authors get the opportunity to voice their own book, but I had the honor and privilege to do so. So thank you to Beacon Audio Books, as well as my publisher titled Town Publishing for everything, but especially all of you for making the I Am 911 movement, as well as Imagine Listening, what it is today. I appreciate you all more than you know. So go ahead, head out, stream it, download it, however you consume your audiobooks. Imagine Listening is now available. If Within the Trenches has ever taught you something, open your eyes to what it is like to be a 911 dispatcher, or has inspired you to become one, then help support us and join our Patreon. Get exclusive bonus content, one-of-a-kind swag, discounts on merchandise, ad-free early access to new episodes, and much more. To join, please visit patreon.com slash wttpodcast. And if you're an industry partner, we have something for you as well. And now, for the show. This is Jordan, and you're listening to the Code 7 Podcast Network. Warning, this episode contains the three A's of podcasting, adult content, adult language, and awesomeness. You've been warned. Welcome to Within the Trenches, true stories from the 911 dispatchers who live there. Hey, hey, what's going on? This is Ricardo with the Code 7 Podcast Network, and this is going to be episode 528 of Within the Trenches, True Stories from the 91 Dispatchers Who Live Them. This episode is sponsored by InDigital, a leader in next-gen core services, and a big shout-out, as always, to subscribers of the podcast. Thank you for everything, but especially all of you who are watching, listening, supporting, and sharing. I appreciate it so, so very much. There's a lot going on this week. It is actually January 22nd, 2024, and Damn it, I got it right. I say that because there have been a couple times where I've been still writing 2023. I think we all go through that. 
And <laughs> so I said it right the first time. So awesome. Pat on my back for that. It is, again, January 22nd, 2024. We're already going to be done with the first month of the new year. Holy moly, it is going super fast, but also a lot of things coming up. A lot of great episodes, more content being pushed out there on social media, as well as the website, and heading out to different dispatch centers, whether I'm going to be there teaching or I'm going there. Um, I've got one coming up in a few days where I'm going to be going out to uh, do a book signing. And uh, the director there and I are, are friends. We've known each other for years. So they ended up purchasing a bunch of the Imagine Listening books for all of their folks. And I will be going out there to not only sign them, but also record episodes with some of their folks and uh, do some B-roll uh, inside the dispatch center and everything so that you can see what it looks like, how everything works. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to be uh, doing that, but also uh, some of the conferences that are coming up as well. So make sure to look out for all of that stuff that's going to be coming up. And uh, I'm just, I'm excited for it. So stay tuned for that. Now I have a guest today. I'm excited to, uh, to have her on. It is going to be excellent. It has, uh, we've been talking back and forth and stuff about doing uh, an episode. So I'm excited uh, to have Reese on. This is Reese and 911 communications officer out of Defiance County Sheriff's Office in Ohio. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be excellent. It, you you made me chuckle last night when we uh, during open mic when I said oh, you're gonna we're gonna be talking tomorrow and you're like I'm excited but I'm nervous and <laughs> super nervous. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is going to be good. It's this is going to be fun because really, it would be something if this was like an interview where you're like coming in for a job and you don't know what I'm going to be asking you, but really all of this is about you. It's about your story. And, uh, but you know what? I guess, in a sense, too, like not everybody wants to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But the cool thing, though, is that a lot of people are going to hear your story. They're going to be able to relate with you, especially those who are just coming in as well. Um, you've got just over four years in the profession, right? Correct. Just over so, four. Excellent. So fairly new, right? And you've got mm -hmm. others that are coming in, so they're going to be learning from you. But also, I, I, I like this as well, because there are a lot of um, seasoned, like veteran dispatchers as well that listen. And I feel like conversations like this, whether it be seasoned or newer folks, um, you know, kind of bridges that gap. You know, some of the things that we were talking about back at the Ohio Mini Conference on the Triumph Through Struggle, where we just, we got to find a way to really communicate with each other because we do it every day, right? Over the phone. Right. But why can't we do that with each other? Right. A good I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Like we're amazing at communications, but when it comes to communicating with each other, it doesn't always happen. And I'm not sure what it is, but I think I think we're making a change. I think the more that we talk about this and the more we put that question out there, things are starting to change. So mm -hmm. that's a good thing. I, I like that. It is very good. So how's everything going? Like, how are you doing today? How's the weather over there? Because I know like us over here in Indiana, there was a lot of snow going through. Uh, we don't have 
a lot of snow, probably mm -hmm. about an inch and a half, two inches still. Um, I know that we're supposed to be getting freezing rain tonight into tomorrow, uh, where it's, I think, about maybe two-tenths of an inch. So Oof. I'm not looking forward to that. But <laughs> other than that, it's not below freezing, so that's good. <laughs> that is good. So so here's the question. Is it the same way in your area? When snow comes down, it seems like everyone forgets how to drive? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You get, the, you get that first snow and you dread going into work because you know you're just going to get a ton of slide-offs and everything else. And as long as everyone's fine, I guess it's it's okay. But Exactly. And But the, the part that sucks, though, is and, – and for those who are, are watching and listening – you might know what we're talking about, and some of you might not, but during that shift change, like when people are coming home from work, that's it's whether they're going into work or they're coming home from work, it's usually when everything is just going to hell. And you're like, what? It yep. feels like it's been hours, but it's only been 10 minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't I don't understand it, man. It happens every year, but <laughs> some of it, you know, makes for some interesting calls as well. But uh, as as we're going into some of that stuff and everything, let's go back in time for you. And okay. just over four years ago, how did you get into public safety to begin with? Um, so I was already in the Correction Center in Northwest Ohio, which is our regional jail. Um, mm -hmm. I had been there for about six years. Um, I should say a little over six years. Uh, just kind of got to the point where I was done with being in the jail. Um, the jail's a lot. It's not made for everyone. I'm not saying that it's not made for me, but I got to the point where I was just done. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went and I came back and I talked to our sheriff and he told me to apply and I got offered the job and I moved as soon as possible over to communications and I've been here ever since. Oh man. So I want to, I want to touch on corrections here really quick for a moment. When I was first starting in the, the last center that I was at, in the county that I grew up in, Allegan County, one of the things that we needed to do during training was to go and see like some of the other agencies and how they do certain things. And uh, for, for us, one of those was going into the jail and just kind of chilling in there. And some of the things that I saw, I, I thought, this is what you guys deal with every day? <laughs> and, and they're like, yeah, dude. We had a person who was in the cell, that, like the, the the drunk tank <laughs> that they have there. Like, there's a bunch of people in there, right? But there was a dude that was in there who, I, I think he was by, uh, and this is dating myself, but like pay, a payphone. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the person was like throwing their poo like all over the walls and stuff. And I said, are you serious? And they said, yeah. And I said, no, really? And they said, no, that does happen. <laughs> I was Absolutely. Like, well, so what do you have to, what do you do when something like that happens? Well, it's kind of hard because some people just do it all the time. Like it's just nonstop. Um, as long as you can verify that they're okay, you just verify that they're okay. And uh, usually I believe it was like 72 hours at the time that I was there. Mm -hmm. um, after 72 hours, we would take them out of the cell, have the cell cleaned down, put them back in it, and then it would just go back to the way it was. Like, oh, man. <laughs> there's some people that just don't stop. So. Oh, geez. Yeah, I there was there was stuff like that. And then just kind of kind of watching how you know, they would process someone 
you know, mm. the belongings and then uh, you just the whole process, just all of it. And I just remember standing there like, damn, like this is pretty interesting. Like it's yeah. just like on TV, but I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> was there, was there anything during that time that, uh, you were in corrections? Um, just, I, I don't know, maybe anything that kind of surprised you, you know, during the time that you were there or, even when you were first getting into that portion of your public safety career, like this is different than I thought it was going to be. Um, nothing really surprised me, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, once I started, because when you first start there, they don't allow you to work, uh, maximum security right away. You start off in minimum and medium. Um, so you don't really see that degree of behavior necessarily right away. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you get your year in, they allowed you to go back to max and I worked intake and central um, and you were kind of taken aback by some of the stuff that people would do or people would say, um, I always try to treat people like they're human. I mean, they deserve it. Oh, of course, and yeah. It's, there's some people who don't, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and that's sad, but um, I mean, I think that the biggest thing that surprised me is the stuff that people were okay with saying and or yelling at you on a daily basis. I mean, working back in Max, I've been threatened to be murdered. I've been threatened to be raped. I've been threatened like everything. Um, so it's, Jeez. you get used to it for lack of a better term, unfortunately. Um, the only time that I actually ever became concerned was I had a, uh, we started taking federal inmates and, um, I had a guy that had threatened to come murder me like in a week. And we were in the process of switching over insurances and uh, our insurance company never told us that they were sending someone out. And I ended up, my shepherd woke me up. I was on third shift at the time and he woke me up and there was a guy standing in my backyard well, here I found out it was the insurance adjuster. Oh, dude. Like, you can't just walk into my backyard, my guy. Like, I I thought that someone was actually there to do something. I've never been afraid of it, but that was the first time that I was like, oh, okay, holy shit. Like, this is happening. Oh, my God. I, I would have been freaked out, too. Like, <laughs> I've got goosebumps on my arms just thinking about that. <laughs> like, holy moly. Yeah, to have to have a threat like that come out and you're like, Okay, you know, this is stuff that people say all the time because of where they're at, what I do, you know, that they, they just want to scare me or whatever. They want to get that satisfaction, that power trip, right? That ego mm -hmm. trip. But then to be at home and then someone just like show up out of nowhere and mm -hmm. think, oh, wait, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I was not expecting that. That's that's pretty <laughs> crazy, man. Yeah. <laughs> so. So, so you do that for, you know, for that amount of time and everything and you end up, uh, there's this opening and you end up getting a chance to move over. So mm -hmm. you already had this experience and everything. Now, do you come from a, a family of public safety or is it just you and you got into it? Nope. I come from a uh, family of public safety. Mm -hmm. um, my grandpa was chief of police in Hicksville. Uh, my dad was a lieutenant on the sheriff's office and he was there for 35 years. Um, and then my mom was a first a female road deputy in Northwest Ohio for the Defiance County Sheriff's Office. So, oh man, that's awesome. Yep. Very yep. cool. So you, you come, you have this lineage. So that is, that is pretty awesome that, right. uh, that you had that. So you, you've got, 
you know, the, the experience like growing up and probably hearing a lot of this stuff then getting into corrections and such. So you hear things on the radio and you have the opportunity to end up going into communications. Now, did you get a chance to sit in first before doing that or you just jump right in? Um, so I used to, I basically feel like I grew up in our sheriff's office. Mm -hmm. Um, I was there all the time when I was little. Um, when it got to the point where I could drive, uh, I used to go up and sit at the dispatch center, uh, for quite a few hours, sometimes whole shifts. Um, and then I would just go home, but, uh, I didn't sit in like right before I was hired or anything like that. Uh, they knew that I knew what it was about and stuff. So, but I used to sit up there multiple days, multiple hours. So, oh, so you definitely had all of that that was going in. So then, when you got into communications mm-hmm. for that part as well, was there anything that uh, surprised you? Like when you when you walked in, you saw all the monitors and everything else, and seeing people basically working like a well oiled machine. Did you have any of those? You know, those first. Uh, those first time, first job um, feelings of, damn, am I going to be able to do this? Or did you feel overwhelmed at all or anything? Um, So it's different when I used to come in and I used to sit down and talk with them and everything else. Yeah. Um, But once you come in and it's your job and you're actually (laughs) like logging into all those monitors and you're like, holy shit, like I'm in charge of this and this and this and it is. It's very overwhelming when you first come in and you do sit there and you start to think, man, am I going to hear everything that I need to? I mean, with my dad growing up, he had a um, scanner. He had a scanner in the car. He had a scanner in his workshop and he had a scanner in the bedroom. And so you heard that scanner daily, no matter where you were. Uh, so I kind of felt like I had a good idea of what was being said on the radio, but until you're actually the one that has to listen to it and you're responsible for it, it's a lot different. It is very overwhelming at first. Oh man. So you, you had all of that, even growing up hearing the traffic. So you were kind of training (laughs) a little bit from, from the beginning because you could probably go into a room and let me, let me prep, let me start it with this first. So one of the, one of the centers that I was trying to get into the, the last center that I worked at, when I was trying to get in there, I was trying to get into another center at the same time. And the other center, um, one of their testing was like 30 of us in a room, bad acoustics and just, you know, intercom speakers and such. And they were playing audio and we needed to write down what we thought dispatch and the officer was talking about. Now, I already had about four years of experience in dispatch working in Florida. So I knew what I was hearing, but there were a lot of people. And I remember looking around and you could see them going like making faces like I have like you could tell they had no idea, no idea. And they weren't really writing or anything. So those 30 got whittled down to like 10 or 15 people. And because, you know, we had well, at least I did. I, I had that experience. So like for you as well growing up and everything you kind of had that experience already listening and you could tell what people were saying over the radio because a lot of people you know they they sound like they're eating their mic (laughs) (laughs) no that's still a thing Um, yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i had an advantage because i knew a good majority of my 10 codes and Mm -hmm. um you know to Hear some of the guys I knew what they were saying, or I could understand them. There are some that still sound like they're eating their mic. God bless them. Like 
they're such good guys, but some of them, they just are so hard to understand and you get your poor new people that come in and uh, stuff like that. Uh, when they would go to third shift for a while, third shift was one where that was where a lot of the guys were and the guys would get so frustrated. And I'm like, you just got to try to power through it and you got to try to understand them. I said, listen to them on your off days, whatever the case may be, you'll get there, but it is hard to understand them sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And and for those who are watching and listening that are uh, <laughs> the general public, uh, there is a device that centers have where I mean, it's, it's because everything is recorded and you can play it back. However, when you're working and you're doing that, that's not something you're supposed to be using all the time. You don't rely on that because like everything not everything's going to work all the time. And what I mean is that that recording might not get picked up and, and you go back to check it out and you're like, oh shit. So you gotta, you, you gotta jump right back in and uh, central to, you know, whatever unit, can you repeat, even if it's going to piss them off and you know, it's going to, you need to ask because if you don't know what they just said, it, it could be, you know, it could turn into something. You know, it could be a location that someone said really fast and you need to have kind of that thick skin as well to get back in there and ask. And whether you feel embarrassed or it doesn't matter because you have to ask. Yep, absolutely. It's a major officer safety issue. Yeah. Um, if you're not asking, I know that a lot of new people, me included, I didn't want to have to repeat or ask them to repeat. Um, because they do get upset with you and mm -hmm. I, I get it to a degree. I mean, it's an officer safety issue. I want all my guys to go home at night and if I'm not hearing them, then that's a me thing, not a them thing. Yeah, there was, I can't believe I'm going to tell the story, <laughs> but there was, there was one time when I was in training in the last center that I was at, I was working on radios. I have my trainer sitting right next to me and I've got my headset on and I could not hear them like it sounded like they were at the bottom of a barrel and i kept asking to repeat and i look over at my trainer and she goes can you really not hear what they're saying she goes i have it turned all the way up i can't even i, I don't know how you're not hearing them so this is what happened <laughs> she sent me to the hospital for them to check me out really quick because i told her too i said i don't know what's going on i said but i can't i can't hear them and I said, my, my left ear was plugged up a little bit last night. And I said, I'm not sick or anything, but it was plugged up. And now I feel like my right one is. So I went to the hospital and I told them what was going on. And they said, um, <laughs> do you, do you ever put like solution in your ears or anything to clean them out? And I said, I clean them. I shower. I'm not the stinky kid in school. Like, <laughs> you know, that's not what's going on. And they said, well, maybe you're just one of those folks that, you know, that builds up earwax more than, than others. And I was like, I feel like you said that to make me feel better, but okay. And, uh, so they ended up cleaning my ears out and I won't go into detail of what I saw, but they cleaned my ears out and I, I shit you not when they were done with both ears, it was like, oh, like I could hear everything, but 
I also got completely disoriented. I said, am I supposed to feel like I'm super trashed right now? And they said, oh, we might have gone too far down. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so like my, my whole equilibrium, like I, it was like a, a vertigo spell. If anyone has ever had one of those before, everything just started spinning and I laid back for, a, it was only a couple minutes. It was super fast, but also scary. And I sat up and they're like, are you feeling better? I was like, are you yelling? They're like, nope, this is, <laughs> I'm talking in a normal tone. I was like, wow, I don't know what was wrong with my ears, man. So I go back into dispatch and I sat at radios again and I had everything turned like not even in the middle. It was turned down because I could finally hear. Oh, wow. <laughs> I almost forgotten about that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was finally able to hear and everything, but um, I, I wanted to say all of that too, because, um, you know, part of that technology that, that we have, whether it be, you know, the, the technology that's been out there for like recorders and everything or technology that's out there now, you know, AI video to 911 text for 911, you know, stuff like rapid SOS or anything like that. Um, we're able to use those for the greater good, but when it goes back to that recording part, you can't rely on it. But also with some of the other technology as well, you have to make sure to ask people where they're at. You have to verify all that stuff, right? Right. Correct. And I, I tell, so like my siblings, I, mean, I don't know if you, you know, you tell your family or friends or anything like this. Coming from a law enforcement family, you probably don't. They already know to do this. Maybe <laughs> friends. But I always tell my siblings, like, know your surroundings, man. Like know where you're at, because if something happens and let's say your phone is, is dead or, you know, whatever, you don't have your GPS, pay attention to landmarks, signs, yes. whatever. And I remember one of my siblings was like, but why? <laughs> like, dude, just because, what do you mean? Why? Like, <laughs> so you know so where you're at, man. <laughs> right. There are so many people that when they call, they don't know where they're at. And um, I would like to say why, but I was also probably one of those people before I started in dispatching. I really wasn't ever worried about where I was at. And mm -hmm. now I'm like, thank God for rapid SOS and uh, programs like that, because we just had uh, just this last week, we had an accident and the lady that had went off into a creek told me a road that she was like a country mile away from to the south and rapid sos put her right where she was and uh we were able to get her help much more promptly than trying to rely on her to get us the information oh man see that stuff like that i'm i'm a little jealous about because i didn't get a chance to use stuff like that it was trying to triangulate and you know ping people and all this other stuff but if they if they hung up and they were on a phone that we couldn't call back, then you're just kind of left there. Like, mm -hmm. what? I hope the person calls back <laughs> because right. there's no other way you can't yeah. call them back and you, you can't find their location. Uh, man, those are crazy times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago, really. It really wasn't that long ago that, uh, the technology was still like that. You know, there's been a technology boom in 911, which has been excellent. So for you, you know, you, you, you 
as you mentioned, you know, there were some of those parts in the beginning that can be overwhelming and stuff. You're, you're memorizing codes, you're <laughs> reading policies and procedures, and you're figuring out the geography. Now, if you've lived in the area where you were working, that doesn't make it, it does make it a lot easier, right? But there are, there are other things too, that end up making it a little bit more overwhelming. So when you were going through your training, how was it like when you first started taking calls? Oh gosh, when I first started taking calls, I would say that's probably the thing that I was most nervous about. Um, even though I had started off in corrections and everything, I was never much of like a public speaker. I never really wanted to like have to address a whole unit or anything like that, let alone really take a phone call. Mm -hmm. um, I'm fine sitting behind my headset and everything, but I've gotten obviously a lot more comfortable now and I'm fine with taking phone calls. Uh, but it's very nerve wracking when you're taking your first phone call and you're like, well, what kind of call is going to come in? Because now, you know, it doesn't matter what line you're on. You could get an unlock on 911 or you could get a unresponsive not breathing on your admin line. Um, yes. And a lot of people don't understand that. And if they don't know where they're at and they're on the admin line, you're almost in like a panic trying to get them to calm down to get them to call 911 so that you can get a better location if they don't know where they're at and um it's just there's a lot of information that you could have to gather and or have your wits about you when you don't know what line you're taking and what's going to be on it oh you're taking me back <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely taking me back because i you know i felt the same way i even with the uh the four years of experience that I already had when I moved back home to Southwest Michigan and finished off my career in the county that I grew up in, it was a completely different dynamic. Mm -hmm. It was now a central dispatch. It wasn't just me sitting there for eight hours doing everything, which would go to hell sometimes. And I'm like <laughs> pulling my hair out like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's only me. <laughs> but, but now it's with, you know, two or three other people. You know, we're a team and we're learning from each other and going through, but it's, it's the same way you could answer a non-emergency call and it's someone who needs CPR instructions or it's someone who's suicidal or something like that. Like you've got all of these different things that could happen. And for me, one of the things, um, well, two things that I can mention here really quick is I remember one of the first emergency calls I took. And with the old phone system that we had at the center that I was at, if you like, you can just lift or I'm sorry, you can hit the button and it, it turns it into a speakerphone and then you lift the handset uh, because sometimes the, the headsets, <laughs> someone would forget to charge the battery. So we couldn't use <laughs> the wireless headset. But uh, um, so if you hit that button, it would go to speakerphone right away, right? So mm -hmm. the first thing that you would hear as you're going to pick up the phone is just straight up blood curdling screaming. And I remember looking at my trainer and she's like, she throws her hands up like, <laughs> there you go. And I'm like, elegant 911, where's your emergency? <laughs> <laughs> and, and just, and you just, you just go right? You just, you just go into it and you start working it. But I, I think for me, one of the things that really tripped me out too, were like medicals, the mm -hmm. medical ones, like I could do them, but they made me nervous sometimes. Yes. Exactly. I would agree. Um, those were, I think one of the first 
well, it wasn't even a 911 call. It came in on an admin line. Um, and I was still in training, but I was to the point where I could answer 911 phones. Um, it was someone from Walmart who had called in and they had an unconscious person out in the store, but they weren't with them. So I was like, oh, okay, like it was just general information that they knew or didn't know. And you kind of got to hang up with them. And I'm like, okay, that wasn't so bad. Like I'm, I'm ready for the next one. We can amp it up a little bit, but like, let's not go like full code or anything on anyone. Right. <laughs> so um, so there where you're at, are you uh, EMD certified? Correct. I'm EMD do certified and um, we do EMD training uh, every month. They open that up. We have a power phone. And um, so that's how we do our continuation of training for that until we have to recertify. Awesome. So for, for those who are watching and listening, um, EMD is emergency medical dispatch. At some, well, actually, I think there's a, there's a lot of them that that have this, but there's some places that they don't take medicals and everything, so they don't need that certification. But if you're taking medicals, this is a, a certification that you get to be able to do it. Now, when I was doing it, we had these big uh, cards, and we would flip depending on the questions. We would flip to those uh, instructions and everything. But everything has been basically put on you know the computer now to be able to do it. But uh, um, that was that was something else as well to be taking medicals and going through those cards and then reading all of that and uh, <laughs> just thinking whoa we did that <laughs> <laughs> some of them can be a lot i mean some mm -hmm. of the cards you open and it's like the whole page uh some of them it's just like a little blip of questions and you're done but uh, we still have the cards in the center just for emergency purposes, um, but we do have, so we used to have an I am responding that had the cards built in, which I feel like there was no rhyme or reason to how those were set up. So you were mm -hmm. still searching for what you needed. Um, now it's been about, I want to say a year uh, we set up, we have a new system that uh, when we open a call, you get the in general information and whenever you put in whatever the incident code is, uh, so fall or whatever, um, it will pop up on another screen and it will prompt us through with those questions. So it's much easier. You don't have to search for anything much quicker. I, I do like the quickness of it because, <laughs> because I remember pulling out, uh, pulling out those cards and I would depending on how I was sitting, I would hit something as I'm quickly trying to maneuver <laughs> the cards because <laughs> they would just be off to the side of my desk. And as soon as I, you know, I knew it was a medical or whichever, you know, I'm, I'm typing everything in, I'm talking to them and I'm flipping through my cards based on the questions. But, you know, if it was like someone who was going into labor or someone who was choking, like, man, those, some of those were the, most high, you know, intense and kind of scary calls and because it's all you. Correct. It's and you get that you. major <laughs> adrenaline dump and you're like trying to flip through cards or anything like that. And you're just like, your main goal is to keep your patient or your caller calm. And you're sitting here with an adrenaline dump trying to keep yourself calm. And it's a lot sometimes. Uh, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, of course, when you're, when you're done and the adrenaline dump hits even harder, depending on 
the center, depending on, I mean, there's a lot of different variables. You might get a chance to decompress, like sit there and breathe through it, or you do it while you're taking the next call. <laughs> yeah. It just depends on how busy you are, truthfully. Yeah. Um, when I had my first uh, actual CPR call where we actually went through um, actually having to count out compressions and stuff like that, um, once my partners had gotten everything toned out and uh, firing EMS on the way and everything, um, it was just me sitting there counting. And it's very eerie uh, just because there's no other sounds. It's just you and your caller. Um, so, yeah. That That is, oh, man. Yeah, that is definitely one of those that um, I had another flashback there. <laughs> That's another one of those where, um, you know, like you said, there's there's nothing else going on. You don't hear anything else. And, and sometimes depending on the uh, the call, especially if it's CPR type, you know, you might even hear someone in the background uh, sniffling, like crying or something, mm -hmm. or someone who's screaming or, you know, someone saying, just get them over here as fast as you can. And, and you're like, we are, you know, they, they are, you know, everything that we're doing right now does not delay the response they have been on the way they have been heading out there but i have to give you these instructions and uh, you know sometimes people are like why don't they understand why don't they understand and my thought or at least what i've told people in the past is it's not that they don't understand they're living their literal nightmare right now so right. they're just going with what they're feeling and you you can't blame people or, or say anything like why do they understand because how would you do it you know if you were the one who was calling in how do you think you would fare and i've i've talked to a lot of um dispatchers and call takers who have said i've had to call 911 before and i thought i was fully prepared but when you're in that moment it's like what the hell what's going on yeah everything just kind of goes out the window um the only thing that i wish that people could understand more. And again, it all goes to that things change when you're actually in the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you have people that say, just get them there, I wish that people would know or could understand that for some of us um, in our centers, like in my center, there's always at least two of us, sometimes three. Uh, my partner's already read the complaint. They're already getting them there. I just have to stay on the phone with you and talk to you, and I need to get that information so we can pass it on. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't understand what's going on there. Um, it's just we need to get that information for them so we can keep them updated, and I promise you my partner's getting them on the way. Very true. Yeah, that that is definitely one thing. Um, I agree that would love everyone to know uh, because there, there would be times that I would be talking to someone and they would be yelling that at me or throwing out threats and just like swearing at me and stuff. And I would, I would have to be, uh, you know, with a firm voice telling them just straight up being real with the caller to say, listen, help is going as fast as they can to get there. The officer or whoever is not just sitting around the corner where you're at because there's emergencies going on all over the place. Mm -hmm. They're going there. I'm getting you help there as fast as possible. And, and being real with them, a lot of times, they would end up uh, responding saying, 
Okay. No, no, I understand. I get it. I'm just, I'm going through this and, and, you know, and then they start explaining themselves. I'm like, no, 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 no. You're okay. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I understand what you're, what you're saying. I'm just telling you that I... they're not just sitting around the corner. They're at another call that they had to leave to get to your emergency because mm -hmm. your emergency isn't the only one that's going on. 911 does not stop. Right. Do you find that being just straight up with your caller sometimes kind of helps out a little bit? Because I, I think if you if you tell someone, um, like for example, if it, like when I'm talking to, uh, and this isn't this has happened like when my kids were way younger, but uh, um, and it's I, I just mean it's that kind of um, mentality of being patient. When they wanted something, you're like, oh, Christmas is just around the corner or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and they're like, okay, you know, you've said that before. And uh, it's it's almost the same thing with callers and stuff that you say something that's kind of, you know, to that same mentality. And they not so much turn on you, but they get a little defensive, right? But if you're just real with them and you tell them, look, this is what's going on. They're going as fast as they can they respond better to you? Uh, there's been some people that'll respond better. Um, mm -hmm. I've had people hang up on me too. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of depends on where they're at and uh, their mental state with what's going on in front of them and stuff. And sometimes some of them will understand. And like you said, they'll apologize and they make yeah. me feel bad. I'm like, I'm not trying to like <laughs> tell you that you're not important or whatever. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, like, I, I promise you, we're doing the best we can to get them there, um, but I can't teleport them there. Right, for sure. Um, so you, you're, you've, you've been taking all of these calls and everything, and you're getting into it. You're in the thick of it. Was there a moment, or whether it be with your, you know, your coworkers there in the center, or a certain phone call you took, or something to that nature, that you felt like, man, I got this. Like, I'm in the right place. Like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I would say that I've had a few calls where I've taken them and I felt like I've been in the right place. I've had um, some of those calls are like suicide calls or um, someone who feels like they want to commit suicide. Um, or uh, one of the other calls was a guy who uh, he had just brought his wife home from hospice and she had ended up passing like shortly after they got home um and he wanted to hang up and i asked him not to i said just you know mute the line if you want set the phone down uh in case you need me i'm here and i just listened to him cry uh but i felt like i was doing the right thing oh man those those are definitely the hard ones and Sometimes, I mean, all you can do is just kind of, kind of listen, right? And, right. and just be there for them. And I, I feel like some of those calls are ones that were meant for us. And just, whether it be some sort of experience that you might've had or something to that nature, like that one, you know, some of these calls are, are, are meant for us. Like we, it was better that we were the ones who took it with that person because we were able to comfort them a little bit better. 
you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I just, I feel like sometimes, you know, we're, we're there to, to comfort them and, and, and just be them, be there with them in their moment so that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. 110%. Um, with that call, actually, it was kind of ironic. So his wife had cancer and they brought her home from hospice and she had passed, um, with my dad, when my dad had passed, he was in the hospital. Uh, we moved him to hospice. He didn't leave hospice, but he had passed in hospice and he had cancer. Uh, so it was just kind of like an eerily similar situation. Uh, so yeah, I, I do agree with you. I do believe that I was meant to take that call. Oh man. And so along with that as well, and this story, which thank you so much for, for sharing that and, and that added piece as well, that you're right. I mean, it does kind of go together. You had already, you know, dealt with something like that and you were able to comfort that person in their, in their time of need. Um, it just, it, it's something that can be passed on as well to others that are, that are coming in. You know, your, your communications officer and everything. And, and I don't know if you're thinking about going into being like a trainer and doing training or anything else with, with like the newer folks that are coming in, but this is also something that you're able to carry with you. And those watching and listening who have been in similar situations, they can relate to you in this, with this type of situation as well, because everything that we're doing you know, day in and day out, taking phone calls, all of this conversations like we're having right now are things that are going to be able to help the other folks that are coming in, or maybe even those who have been in dispatch for a while and didn't know how to open up because they felt like nobody else was going through something like that. But with you sharing that, that helps immensely. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, in, in that same sense, do you, do you feel like you would end up getting into like a, a, a training position later on or um, so rocking the front line? <laughs> <laughs> uh, currently, I am uh, CCO at our uh, center. Oh, awesome. Um, I would like to continue on and I would like to be a sergeant one day, um, hopefully. Uh, I, I just, I like making sure that things are done right. I like making sure that... Uh, you know, people are trained to the best of their abilities to help them try to prepare for situations like this, um, talk through things, see where your, you know, empathetic side lies and uh, stuff like that. I just, I would like our center to be the best that it can be for the community that we have. That's what needs to be everywhere, but um, obviously you have to start somewhere. So this is where I'd like to start. That is awesome. I Love that. And, and the fact that you, um, that you actually are a CTO and everything as well, you're, you're able to, to train that way. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what I love about this profession that, that the, the previous guard seems to be shifting, right? All of thing, all these things in our profession are shifting and <clears throat> excuse me. And what I mean by that is when I first got into it, it was just like, you just take your call, you go to it, you go through it, and that's it. There wasn't a lot of resources, at least for dispatch, for, you know, kind of opening up and talking about certain things and, you know, being a part of debriefings and all of this other stuff. But, man, it's a new day. 
and yeah. and we're we're sharing and we're talking and uh, you know it's definitely going to help those that are in it now but more mm -hmm. so for those who come after us and they'll have those resources and they they won't feel alone or they they won't feel like um they're not what they're doing isn't worth anything because it is and it's important and i, I think that's what i love the most about this profession is that we just continue to evolve and we have folks like you who are training those that are coming in that'll feel comfortable with what they're doing that they'll feel welcomed and when you have those elements put together you're going to get someone who actually wants to stay and not leave mm -hmm. and we're con continually making the staffing issue better it's not the greatest right <laughs> everywhere right <laughs> but right. I, it's getting better with, again, with conversations like this and again with folks like you who are bringing everything that you have and your experiences and in, in sharing with people. Because there's a lot of people that, at least in the past, that won't or that wouldn't share. It would just be like, I'm just going to show you what you need to, to know and right. you'll learn as you go along. I think that a lot of things are still uh, pretty held close to their heart on stuff and they don't like to share. Um, I know there's some stuff that I still don't share, mm -hmm. um, but I do like that we are evolving and that we are getting better at being able to share our experiences and stuff because I don't think a lot of people understand the mental health aspect uh, for dispatchers. We may not see it, but we hear it. We know stuff that's going on. You know that you uh, play out the other end of things, even if it's not the thing that actually happened. You can play out a scenario in your head a million different ways of what happened on the call you were on. Um, and there are so many people who are so scared to share because they don't want to be blackballed or they don't want to um, be labeled or whatever the case may be. Um, I remember when I was still back at the jail, I took CIT training, uh, and that was a week long. And the Adams board, um, she has since retired, but she was talking to us, and she was like, well, why won't you guys come and, you know, you guys need to talk, you need to share, you need to get that off your chest, or whatever the case may be. And we all looked around in the room at each other, and we said, because no one wants their job taken away. Because there was such a negative connotation to mental health, Yeah, no one wants their job taken because they are feeling whatever type of way they're feeling. So it, it just, it's a discussion that needs to be had more often, um, a much more non-judgmental space, a uh, much more helpful space. That way we can continue to have healthy dispatchers and we can continue to keep people in the profession and not run them off or uh, whatever the case may be. I agree, fully agree there. And, and I think in, in, in some places, like the, the last center that I was at, um, over in Allegan, one of the things that they started doing, and I, I'm pretty sure they still do it now, is they were, it wasn't just for dispatch, um, like during training and such, you know, they, we would go on ride-alongs or we would go to EMS to check out what they do or fire or whichever, <clears throat> excuse me, but they would also have newer officers come into dispatch and sit for an hour or so or from other agencies come in and sit because in that sense for that portion of it we were bridging the gap between the disciplines of public safety so that they knew what we went through 
and a lot of them afterwards are like, okay, for one, I could never do your job. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. Mm -hmm. And they were just, they were just listening and they were only in there for about an hour or so. And they had a completely new perspective on what it is that we did in the center, the types of calls that we were taking and how it felt, how it, you know, what happens to us as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think that's a good thing so that everyone can, can learn from each other and know and respect as well mm -hmm. and recognize that we're going through the same shit. Like you mm -hmm. said, we might not be there on the scene, but we are up here. And sometimes what we create in our head from everything that we're hearing can be worse than what is actually going on there. I mean, think about an open line call. Mm -hmm. You could not be hearing anything except for just little sounds here and there or breathing or whichever. And the what your brain starts putting together, man, damn. Yeah. We had, um, from one of our neighboring jurisdictions, they had transferred a 911 call to us, which we had only briefly heard the female because she was kind of like yelling and we knew something wasn't right, but the line had disconnected and we couldn't get her back on while well, I had called back up to uh, it was Williams County above us, and they had talked to us a little bit. And between her and me, uh, we kind of figured out an area. And my sergeant went out, and uh, when he made contact with her, they ultimately ended up arresting the guy that was there. And he had admitted that he was going to kill her that night. So it's just, it's it's kind of, it's little things like that that, you know, you help protect the public, whether you're the officer or not. Um and it justifies some of the reasons that you feel like you're meant to be there. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, oh man, this has been a lot of fun to have you on and, 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 hey. and share your story and just your perspective on, on dispatch and, and just everything. It's, it's refreshing. I, I love hearing stuff like this and just like your, your passion for the profession and what it is that you do. So thank you for all of that. Um, now, um, it, and if you, is, as long as you feel comfortable, of course, but is there, are there any calls or a call that kind of sticks out, you know, something that kind of, you know, sticks with you? I know throughout anyone's career, there are a bunch of them, but you know, there are some of those few that just, they're kind of there. Um, I think one of the biggest calls that sticks with me is the one that I had shared earlier mm -hmm. uh, with the gentleman who lost his wife just because yeah. it hit so close to home. Um, the other couple ones that I've had that have really stuck with me um, are going to be there was a uh, elderly female who hadn't heard from her husband um, all day, but she knew that he was going out farming. Uh, and she went out to the barn and had found him in his combine. Um, she couldn't get up there because she was too old to get up into the combine anymore. Uh, but she said that she thought that her husband was passed away. Well, we can't verify that, obviously. So we were sending everyone out there. And that was uh, the one that was more of my first CPR call. Uh, the person that actually ended up on scene down there uh, was my cousin, or I should say it was my cousin, but on the other side of the marriage side of the family. Oh, okay. Uh, but he, he had ended up down there and he was able to get up in the combine and he had performed CPR uh, until 
the responders got there and stuff and were able to get him actually out of the combine and stuff. He ultimately had passed, but um, you just, you kind of remember your people uh, that, you know, they're just in shock on the phone with you. You ask them if there's anything that you can do. Do you need me to call anyone? Uh, stuff like that. So those are more my memorable um, phone calls that I've taken 911 wise. Um, we had a, another one where a semi had went across uh, US 24, which is one of our major highways out with you being from Indiana. I don't know if you know about 24 or not, but I take 24 <laughs> every time I go to Detroit to fly out. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, then imagine a semi going across all four lanes of traffic and he flipped. Um, and he had actually, I don't know if they ultimately believe that he ended up having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, his company that he trucked for had a camera in the cab and they were calling in a welfare check. And I had to put him on the phone with my sergeant because he had passed. Oh, and wow. it's just, they're like, well, it looked like he fell asleep. And I'm like, well, hang on a second. Let me get my sergeant on the phone for you because, uh, you know, it's just, it's not a good end. And you're not the one who wants to be the one to deliver that message unless they give you that ability to do that. But right. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that is definitely a road that I take almost throughout every year. So <laughs> that, that is uh that's one that, and, and the way that it, that it kind of happened too, and, and like the phone call and stuff, you know, some of those are, are, this one especially is kind of interesting that, you know, they were able to see what was going on. How, however, mm -hmm. you know, they had a camera in there and such and were calling for a welfare check, but then it ultimately ended up like that. But you're right. A lot of times it, you have to transfer it off to an officer to give that information because let's just say for, for example, you know, this was, uh, this was just at a, um, a residence, you know, this was instead at a residence, not a car crash or anything like that, mm -hmm. but you know, someone had, had passed and a family member is there that you're talking to and that you ask them, is there anyone that I can call for you? Because like you said, we're there, we're there to help them. And if we can help them in that sense to go that extra mile, let's do it. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's why we're there. But if they ask you to call a family member, let's say like what their son or daughter or something like that, and you call them and say, your father's at such and such house, you know, or at their house, he needs you to go there. You know, there was a medical emergency or whatever. And they're asking you all these questions. You can't tell them exactly what it is, especially if it was a death or whichever, because you could possibly cause an accident that way. And I, I, I've told this to people before and they're like, how, how is that possible? Why are you going to lie to the caller or the person that you're talking to? And it's like, it's, it's not that I'm, that I want to lie or right. it's just that if you, if you think about it, you're giving this person a shock to their senses. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to haul ass to get to their family member because you just told them that there was a death or something and they could possibly be in an accident. That's, that's what I mean. And then mm -hmm. of course people are like, oh, okay, I, I get what you're saying. Right. But, it, it, you know, it could be something like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, like, as you were saying, you got to switch it off to the sergeant or whoever, like, like with the call that you were talking about, man, I think that's a, 
So for me, I'm I'm pretty sure that's a first for me to hear like a scenario like that where they were watching him on the camera. It was a welfare check, but it ended up turning out that the person kind of had a medical emergency right. and then had this accident. Was it just that person or were there any other cars involved? So no other cars were involved. Um, they did go out into the field right there. Um, and that was probably, that was my first like major 911 call, mm -hmm. um, where it was kind of your shock to the senses. You're not used to dealing with this kind of a caliber of thing. And depending on the style of dispatching center that you're in, um, cause a lot of people don't realize that there are different styles of dispatching centers where they have call taking centers and dispatching centers and we do everything. Yeah. Uh, so my poor partner is like over there struggle bus and trying to get everyone toned out and sent that way and you're still trying to get information yet you need to get off the phone so that you can help her when there's nothing else that you can necessarily do uh on that 911 call and it's i guess i don't want to say it's not necessarily anything else that you can't do the people are there and they're trying to do the best that they can they couldn't get into the cab with the guy uh, but they were there and they were watching for responders to get there so, you know, at what point do you make that call that you disconnect from that one so that your partner isn't drowning in all of the radio traffic that's happening and trying to get emergency personnel there? Yeah, that's, I think that's where those and other disciplines of public safety or those in the general public end up being flabbergasted at the, the amount of decisions and everything that needs to be done so fast. And it's you who's mm -hmm. doing it all in that moment. And people are like, I don't know how you do it. And like, even, even now my siblings, when I've talked to them about times and dispatch, they'll say, I don't know how you did that for all that time. And I would say, I don't know either. <laughs> I was going to say, there's some days where I ask myself, like, I don't know how I did whatever happened that day. Um, I've been on 911 calls where I've had to take traffic stops and 911's ringing in the background. Your partner's trying to get all the traffic that she can and also answer 911. I just don't think a lot of people realize how much actually goes into it. Um, right. And then the admin lines on top of it. And Yeah, because none of it stops. You no. just You just keep going. And if you do get a moment after like a, a big incident has happened... Um, I remember specifically, like we, we did something and it was a good turnout and all. And, and when we were all off the phone, I remember, uh, you know, somebody had stood up and said, is anybody on the radio? Anybody on the phone? We're like, nope. And then we jumped up. We're like, yes, like we did that. <laughs> like we just did all of that. And we're just high-fiving because those are the people that are there with you in those moments where you can't even imagine and other people can't even imagine what it is that you're going through but every time i see a big incident happening i immediately go to i wonder what's going on in dispatch right now absolutely one of our bigger incidents that i've been in that we worked we had a major storm that was coming in mm -hmm. uh it was coming in we were working second shift um third shift comes in to start at 10. uh the sergeant for third shift came in and she's like you and you you're staying and I'll be like, she was the one that was just going to run the center while the four of us all sat at our councils and were logged in. And it was so weird because it was just like, all of a sudden we have cameras that we have that are outside and stuff like that. All the cameras just went black and it was like you were on an island somewhere and you just existed to take calls. 
Um, by the time we were done that night, we had, it doesn't sound like a ton, but in that short amount of time, we had 109 calls that had come in. Um, and you want to talk about feeling so helpless because our screen was full. We had like every fire department that we have volunteer and for defiance. Everyone was toned out. People were calling in they're like, oh, my deck's on fire. And I'm like, how close is it to the house? And they're like, oh, like 20 foot out. And I'm like, if it gets closer, call me back and let me know. And I will try to get them there quicker, but they are responding to everything else. And you just, you had people that were just like, oh, okay. Like you felt bad, but what do you do? Everyone's trying to put out other fires. If it gets closer to your house, let us know. Yeah. Oh God. That, uh, <laughs> you've been taking me back this whole episode, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is always good because I, I love conversations like this, but what you were just saying made me think about this uh this this raging fire that we had that ended up taking out multiple houses and we had a bunch of officers out there and uh volunteer fire and you know EMS and everything evacuating people from the area and we're we're trying to help them with different addresses different phone numbers trying to call people and stuff and I in the midst of this chaos I take a phone call from a guy who says um, okay. So I, I just wanted to call really quick because I see that, um, there are a lot of people that are evacuating. Should I evacuate as well? And as I went to say something to him and he goes, my house just caught on fire too. I'm leaving. <laughs> and then he hung up and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, 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 and there was, there was an officer who had gone by like that area and was like, this person's running out of the, they're, they're all coming out of the house. So, and I had been trying to call back and nobody was answering. So I was like, okay, this person <laughs> did leave already. But I thought, um, probably like <laughs> if it's that close to you, <laughs> you know, right. like with yours, you know, there, there was, you know, some distance still, but like with this one, the guy, it was, it was already that close. And then his, his house caught as well. It's like, okay. Wow. You need to go. <laughs> yeah. That was, down, yeah. Please. That was one of those nights that are just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go to sleep when I get home because I'm so <laughs> wired from mm -hmm. the craziness of this shift. Ah, oh, it is nuts. So again, it has been amazing to have you on and, and hear your story. And just everything that you do. Thank you for the the, the job that you do, and uh, just for the the passion that you have for it. Like it's it's this has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um. So one last question before we go into the wrap up of the or as we go into the wrap up of this episode, and it's one that I ask everyone at, at the end of uh, of of the podcast, and that is from from the time that you've had even from like the beginning of public safety and all of that but more so for dispatch um if you could go back in time with the knowledge that you have now to speak to yourself in the beginning like what's some advice that you would give yourself oh goodness <laughs> um, just to never doubt yourself always keep doing what you know is right um and be there to help the best that you can um, like you said earlier, we're there on people's worst days. And I don't think a lot of people think that we take, you know, our work home or our calls to heart. I do. I can't speak for everyone, but I do. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't change that. That's perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to see 
everything that you continue to do in this profession and just the fact that you're also a trainer. And for those coming in, they are very lucky to have you. So again, thank you very much for what you do. Thank you so much. So I'll be right back here with you in just one moment. And for those who are watching and listening, if you have any comments or questions or you ever want to be a guest on this podcast, you can email me and it's going to be wttpodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is wttpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us all over social media. You can also become a supporter of the podcast by doing so on Patreon, Facebook, or even Circle. Circle is where I have this community that I'm starting to build. And uh, be patient because I'm <laughs> I'm trying to get a bunch of stuff going over there for that one and doing uh, community events and everything else. But again, that's on Circle, and it's just under Within the Trenches Media as of right now. But to make everything easier, you can simply go to links.co slash WTT podcast. And that's links with two eyes. I put up one finger. I meant two fingers. <laughs> two eyes.co slash WTT podcast. And you can find everything there. Email, all of my social media, where to follow the latest episode and where to listen. You can purchase Imagine Listening, the book, as well as pre-order book number two. And it's also on Audible. The audiobook is there as well. And I had the honor and privilege privilege wow i can't talk <laughs> which is funny with the part that i'm about to say i had the honor and privilege of voicing my book <laughs> oh that's so funny i just jacked that whole thing up but i promise you the audiobook is awesome <laughs> and i didn't have any mess ups in that so there you go but you can check that out there uh, you can also become a subscriber by going to links.co slash WTT podcast. And you can check out the link for more podcast merchandise. It is all there for you in one spot so that you don't have to go all over the place. This can be seen on Facebook, YouTube, as well as X and LinkedIn Live. And then you can listen 24-7. And that's on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, your favorite podcasting app, and withinthetrenches.net. Have a good one, everyone. See you in the next one. You just listened to a Code 7 Network podcast. If you have any questions or would like to be a guest on the show, send an email to wttpodcast at gmail.com.